Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, everybody? It's Bark After Dark. Special guest Wes Blankenship in tonight. And uh, what happened today? Oh, Anything boy. happened today? Oh, boy. Well, Jake Rowe uh, went Let's hear about your day first, Jake. Under, right? uh, I mean, I didn't do that. Um, <laughs> I think I had a couple of – I think I had a couple of, uh, like, approach shots early on that we tapped in uh, for birdie. But my team shot, I think, 15 under or 14 under, 15 under. How, and how did uh, we did not place. No – Wow. Yeah. Do you have any eagles? Play. No eagles. We yeah. had a couple of eagle opportunities, but we did not connect on eagles. We uh Wes lives out at Georgia Club, so he understands this. Um <laughs> he uh and and try to go out there and find Wes's house, please. Um, <laughs> yeah, go over there and knock on doors. You will die before you get to Wes's house. You can you're yeah, all are welcome as long as you're a dog's HQ subscriber. <laughs> You get, a lot you get of special, them, uh, special a lot access of to Wes's there. house if you're a Dogs HQ subscriber. I did not hit the ball into anybody's house today, so that was good. Um, but no, nah, I mean, it. Uh, How did that feel, man? I mean, look, it's never. I feel like you were having fun, I'm sure, but like when you find out that happens and you're out of pocket, I, I, it never feels good. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. There's, uh, I, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like this. Uh, um. Hey, I'm you know people are laughing at me because I'm not doing my job, or if it's FOMO, I think it's FOMO. I yeah, I mean the, anything could happen at any moment when you're out on that cart. Yep, no doubt. No, the I, listen, I I mean yeah. Before we get into everything, obviously the Riola stuff is huge. I mean, there's no, it's there's no underrating it. I mean, there's it to me. I thought of it like it was like Kirby's white whale. Like he had like accomplished everything to this point that you needed to do, but he had just never gotten that guy, you know? And I mean, where does Justin Fields? Yeah, Fields. That's what they are. I mean, somebody said on the board, what was the, the closest thing? And I said, well, it's got to be Fields. Yeah. Um, I, Easton was huge too. Uh, there's there's no doubt about that as well. But, I mean, Riola is, you know, that's, that's it's a huge, it's huge, man. Number one. Oh, I don't want to put players. words in your mouth, Roos. Mountain Jake, but it sounds like you're saying you think Rayola is better than Fields and Eason. Uh, no, I'm not saying that at all. <laughs> um, just trying uh, to give the listeners. But he's a comparable. I mean, he's a comparable talent. Too. There's no question about that. I think that you'd have to agree with that. Um, you know, he's he, and and I I think really the thing that separates him from those two guys is that uh, he's got the the NFL pedigree. He's got the dad who played in the league forever, so he just knows what it takes, man. I mean, he gets the grind in a different way, and I think that that's what it's – I think, to me, that's the big differentiator between him and those guys. He's got all the tools, and he can do all the things, but, uh, you know, Dan Orlovsky, uh, in that piece that Chad had, uh, we retweeted it, was from last year when – it was from when he committed to Ohio State, so Chad said just sub in the word Georgia when you see Ohio State, but uh, Dan Orlovsky compared him to Patrick Mahomes, and – Boy, howdy. Uh, Dan really wanted to get ahead of that commitment, didn't he? <laughs> Dan, Dan out here taking kids' moments, man. Just yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, don't, I can't even figure that part of it out. And then and then sisters out here taking them too. No doubt, no doubt. I mean, I don't know. It, 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 it seems to indicate to me that maybe they're just not quite, you know, full of themselves and, and worried about the moment and all that stuff. I mean – maybe you know the kid had a moment at one point and now he's getting to do it again um i don't know man it's it's recruiting it's not life or death uh and and hopefully 
Um, if anybody understands that, they understand that. Uh, but, you know, I mean, it's – listen, it's, it's kind of cool, and I'm sure somebody like Seth Emerson or, or you know, somebody that really dives into these long-form things um, will do it. But, you know, how, how a, a bond formed with the Detroit Lions um, – is going to pay off for Georgia football. It's pretty crazy. Imagine, uh, imagine if somebody had told you at that time that they landed Matthew Stafford, that Mike Bobo would also be, would, you know, what 15, what are, what are we on? Like, yeah, we're like 15 years on almost would go yeah. out and, and land, go out and land the next guy like this. I, I mean, you could do a real butterfly effect thing. Like just go back through Stafford's career, look at what he could have done or, didn't do along the way that led to him getting picked by the by the Lions. I mean, his last year there probably left a lot to be desired for a lot of Georgia fans, but he still got picked pretty high. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, the fact – and you look at the Lions too. Everything that that franchise hasn't been uh, benefits Georgia. Yeah. Oh, there's no doubt about it, man. That's like it's like you said, it's butterfly effect. It's weird, somehow poetic almost. I think it's it's kind of be- I think it's kind of beautiful that it's Mike. Yeah, it brings a tear to my eye. And, and, and Jake, I think you wrote that like, you know, Bobo probably in this scenario. I mean, I don't even know that probably, but almost certainly was a, was a better guy to have recruiting Riola than Todd Munkin was. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the recruiting recruitment did kind of ta- you know kind of take off there um with with Bobo it's supposed to break away from him you know like I mean if you, if you listen I was on the golf course today you know the putt's not supposed to break that way it's supposed to break left not right um and you know when they lose I mean nobody would have batted an eye if Dylan Riola would have said listen I love Todd Monken and I'm out you know like um Shark Tank style um you know like <laughs> I mean like Mr. Wonderful I'm out and for that reason I'm out uh but no he didn't uh you know he he hung in there and gave Mike Bobo a chance and then you know that that you know, right there being face to face with him. Um, there it went, you know, and, and that, that's when the recruitment kind of took off there. And, you know, like I put in that story, man, Mike Bobo on another damn fullback, uh, you know, him and Sean Chappas getting this thing done. Uh, we leave Mike Bobo and his fullbacks alone. Okay. Get to the choppers. <laughs> me and my roommate used to say that all the time when Sean Chappas was playing. Oh, well, uh, first off, I guess we should start off, like we do most every show. What are you drinking tonight, boys? Michelob Ultra Gold, baby. Um, not even trying to go hard. <laughs> I Wes Wes is classing the joint up, man. He had a shaker. I had a shaker. Pouring, got a little uh, a box glass even. Brown water tonight. Figure I'd come prepare for you guys. So there you go. Go what's, uh, what's the what's the poison though, man? What you what'd you make up? A little old fashioned there. Uh, little, I have uh, a bourbon and espresso tonight. Okay. Because I got a seven-week-old and trying to chill with y'all, but you never know when duty may call in a couple hours here. So I'm just trying to stay on an even keel. What's uh, what's the bourbon? Uh, we had, we found four roses on sale, so not nice. the small batch, just the good old uh, four roses. Got about a 1.75 liters of it. Not the best stuff. Um so sorry, they're never going to sponsor this show now, but it gets the job done. So can't got pass a, a good deal. I got a ball mason jar full of uh, vu pape. Uh, it's uh, I can I found it in my bar cart. I was like, no, oh, I'd like a glass of red wine tonight, and I uh, did a little research on it. I can tell you that it is an appropriately priced six dollars. It is not you know, really good at all. <laughs> it's, it's funny that you you hold up the mason jar there. I was thinking about how much just in this region specifically it would throw people off if you just started drinking water out of a mason jar and you pull up next to somebody and see them <laughs> drinking water out of the uh, the the ball jar and immediately your mind is going to assume it's moonshine. So that could be can a can nice social ever, experiment to try I out just, if you're if you're willing. I just need to give everybody a heads up real quick. My man, Rusty Mansell, just hit me up with a here we go in five. So um, just so you know, just to build a little drama here on uh, on Bark After Dark. Is he coming on the show? No, no, he's not. I don't believe. <laughs> um, you know, Rusty might be having a cold one in and of himself. So uh, between Rusty Mansell saying that and Matt Olson just doubling in a run, um, you know, we're doing good over here. This wine sending chills down my spine. It's terrible. This what is? This wine I'm drinking. It's awful. <laughs> it's just, hey, listen, listen. <laughs> one of the finest glasses of wine I've ever had. 
was uh, when me and you and our friend Jason Boggess had that uh, had that three man dinner at Oak Steakhouse in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, we did that right, man. I think about that often. How yeah, that was a great meal. One of the started greatest. with a couple bourbons neat. Um, you know, the salads came. Um, uh, you know, drink a little water with the salad, kind of get hydrated, and then the then the steaks came, and there come the red wine, and it was a good night. I need a I need your restaurant recommendation too for St. Louis, Jake. I'm going in uh, November. I found Shave Duck, man. That's what I. Shave, that's what it was. Shave Duck yeah. is is really really good. I took BA and Connor there, and uh, may have overdid it a little bit. I kept ordering the tequila soda and limes, and BA was like, "Are you going to stop?" And I was like, "I don't know, man. These things are going down easy." That's I like the BA could could throw down back in his uh, heyday. No, BA BA can throw down. Let's just don't let's don't. Don't shortchange that man. That's a real man there. We uh, we scored Metallica tickets for St. Louis, so pretty oh, excited about Metallica. That. Yeah, yeah. We got a we got a we got a, we got a box. I think. Yeah, we've got we've got breaking news over at Dogs oh, HQ boy. coming down oh, the boy. pipe right now. All right. So what what do we do, um, Ro? I'm going to hit publish on this story real quick, and then I'm going to ask producer Palmer if he can hear me right now to please, please, please put this on facebook for us he was over there eating some overnight oats it looked like or something (laughs) (laughs) there is i don't know what it is about that name but it is it is comedy gold for me when people like oh i love my overnight oats there's nothing that sounds more disgusting to me than overnight oats yeah, Bo, uh, you, you got a real kick out of the fact that I went to the city council meeting tonight. Oh, Just yeah. I, I was going to, that was actually going to be my question <laughs> for you after. Why do you do that? No, let's, we'll talk about that. That'll be, well, that'll be our after question. I, it, it's the Copper Hill City uh, government. It's, it's so fun. Uh, for those of you watching, um, no, it is not Jalen Riddell. Uh, it's a transfer. Um, it is a transfer as a walk on. Um, Tennessee running back Laneith Whitehead from Athens Academy has chosen to extend his college football career at the University of Georgia. Now, listen, before you get all like, ugh, or anything of that nature, keep this in mind. Uh, This guy has spent two of the last three years on the shelf um, due to injury. And the one year that he did kind of have fairly healthy, he averaged six and a half a carry um, with most of his action coming against SEC teams. Um, You know, this is not a bad guy to have as a walk-on and to kind of get in your running back room. Um, I think this is a pretty solid pickup for Georgia. I remember covering him a little bit or, or following him a little bit as a recruit. And uh, that's, that's a very nice piece to have, I feel like, to your running back room. Yeah, and I mean, he turned down scholarship offers to come play. I mean, he could have gone to Boston College. There were a couple of other places that were interested in him. Um, and then you're losing Savon Clark out of that running back room as well, who was a usable piece there. So uh, I like I like Whitehead, man. I thought he was a hell of a linebacker, to be honest with you, back in That's where he started his career. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. he, he started his career at linebacker at Tennessee. They moved him to running back. He stayed – he was injured his first year in 2020. 2021, he comes in. I believe he carries the ball – I know he played about 65, 70 snaps for Tennessee that year. And I think he carried it somewhere in the neighborhood of like 30-something, 39 times, 35 times, over 200 yards. And uh, had um, co-SEC freshman of the year, of the week um, uh, for a performance against Missouri. A couple touchdowns. Again, do I expect him to be the starter? No. Um, but I think if you're looking at, you know, an SEC game and crunch time and Branson Robinson's cramping and, Two other guys are on the shelf. I think you feel good about him taking care of the football um, and and being kind of in the mix there uh, for that running back position. 6'2", 220. Big Big boy there. Big guy. Uh, That photo from the infamous golf ball and mustard game, Tennessee fans are going to say that they didn't want him. (laughs) That that delivery on the Tennessee fans are going to say. Hey, th- here's the thing, too. Uh, they'll say that after going into the 2022 season or go- going into the 2022 offseason be like, man, we got this guy and we got that guy. Whitehead's back there. We believe in him, too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no doubt. There was one Tennessee fan or multiple trying to get after me today on Twitter, and they were talking about how a post that I had made about um, – I had apparently made a post about uh, – uh, on our board about Josh Heupel. And I said, hey, listen, there are people down at UCF. I, t- I said I was really impressed with what he had done in year one. But there are people down at UCF who will tell you that, that he had that thing going in the wrong direction. Man, Tennessee fans were all over me about that, saying 
man, Georgia just can't stand for anybody else to get attention. I'm like, first of all, who the hell is looking for attention whenever you're the one perusing an opposing fan's message board looking for something, okay? <laughs> so that's one. Two, uh, let's go back to what you all were saying about Josh Heupel when you hired him, okay? You want to go find some receipts? We'll pull up some receipts. Second, uh, three, let's talk about Joe Milton for a second. They were trying to cram Joe Milton down my throat. You want to look for receipts on that one? Because those are filthy. Like those are, yeah, those, you know, those you stomped in the floor with, with, you know, dog feces on your feet, you know, like, I mean, that was, that was pretty bad. So let's don't, I mean, don't come at me with that. I got, I got weapons. All right. <laughs> uh, so now that we've covered, I think all of the news of the day, let's dive in here with our guest, Wes, uh, certainly no stranger to this podcast or to this, this YouTube channel. Um, no, not, not Wes stranger is to the Podcast. I mean, you're, you're the captain. You're the- I don't know if you guys ever watched. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever watched uh, Entourage, but you know that like that movie that got Vinny Chase all popular, and that thing was Queens Boulevard, and he's like, "I am Queens Boulevard," and that's Wes <laughs> that is Wes is Dogs HQ YouTube. Yeah, I had to learn a lot over the past year. That's for sure. Um, so Wes, we kind of start this off every time. I know you've seen the show before, but we'll we'll get to the regular stuff with you. You know. Talk, take us a little bit back through your journey, man. Um, I know yeah. it starts in uh, – uh, well, it doesn't start, but I know that uh, the Collins Hill Eagles are a big part of this whole thing. And, uh, you know, so we know that you got that Lawrenceville money behind you. <laughs> the Lawrenceville money. <laughs> I'm looking for uh, – I had an old picture. <laughs> I guess – I don't know. I misplaced it. Um, yeah, I started uh, – my sports career, you know, keeping up with Georgia in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Uh, and, you know, my, my days on college football Saturday started off, you know, listening to Larry Munson on my like portable Walkman AM FM radio while I was either doing chores or getting ready to uh, score one basket in a rec league basketball game. Um and that was just how I, I did Saturdays in the fall. And Sunday morning, I'd be reading the Gwinnett Daily Post about, you know, how many yards David Green had thrown for against Vandy or Tennessee or, or anybody. And it started really with that 2001 season. There's there's some really good, I guess, symmetry, overlap, whatever you want to call it. Just the natural time in my life when I really started keeping up with Georgia was Mark Rick's first year. Um you know, I'd watched games before that, but uh, my parents didn't go to Georgia. They're big dog fans, but they, they didn't get their degrees there or anything like that. So uh, it all just came to a head for me my, as a formative football fan when David Green threw that touchdown to Ron Haynes at Tennessee. Um, we were out doing some fall festival activities with my parents, but I'll never forget we had Munson on the radio. And I think, you know, there – People hear Munson's calls, but I don't know how many of them needed him to deliver the call in his later years, if that makes sense. I mean, every game was on TV. Most of Georgia's big games, even in those eight and four years, you know, you had a big game uh, on CBS. You know, you weren't like scrambling to try and find the coverage of it. So that was a, a very pivotal moment in my my history of loving Georgia was that Larry Munson call. We were up in North Georgia getting some pumpkins or something. I don't even remember what it was. Ooh, it wasn't much choice, obviously I couldn't drive at 11 years old, but uh, we were out doing the fall festival stuff with the fam and heard Larry Munson just call a hobnail boot, man. And stuff like that sticks with you. It was a, just a, like a beautiful day in North Georgia. The leaves were changing colors. I mean, it was an iconic moment with my family and I was grumbling the whole day, like, why can't we watch this game on TV? But now I'm so glad we did it because it was a, a great family memory, a great Georgia football memory, and one of Larry's greatest calls all those years later when, you know, who could have guessed that late in his career he'd still be delivering haymakers like that. So uh, that's where my identity of keeping up with Georgia and really being in love with the the team and, and the culture of everything that that being a dog meant uh started with those green and pollock years and they're still pretty special even though they came up short of winning a national championship 
those are some really good teams. I tell you, Wes, you, you talk about how late he was doing that, and I don't know if you remember this call. I guess he would have been 16 or 17 when this happened. 2006 Georgia Tech. Um, I mean, just an ugly game. Uh, you know, I think Tony Taylor had Georgia's only offensive touchdown for most of that game. He'd picked it up in a pile of Georgia Tech guys and picked up a fumble and ran it back for a touchdown. And Stafford brings him down the field, a little pump fake, yeah. and hits Massaqua in the back of the end Massaqua. Yeah, and the way he said Massaqua, it was almost like he had – it was almost like he had gone then. Like it was almost – Yeah, like he was ready to go. He had a heart attack or something in the middle of him. Yeah. Touchdown, Massaqua! Yeah. <laughs> it was just like – I mean, it was almost like he just kind of ground his gears right there all at one time. Um, I, That's one I'll never forget. And I Huge mean, moment a, for Stafford too, man. Yeah, I mean, I wrote a column. It's so funny, you know, and it's so cool that that you identify with it later than I did. Because I mean, I'm 39. I'm guessing you are, what? 30? I'm 32. I, I was, I was. This was one of the questions I had. I do not know how old West Blankenship is. Yeah, <laughs> you're, looking, you're looking great for 32, though. By the way. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I'm, I'm 39, and you know, when when he when when Larry passed. BGASports.com, I wrote a column, and it was kind of like this man looked after me. Like he was almost like a babysitter a little bit because, um, you know, like my dad, would, at times. my dad would have to work on Saturdays sometimes, and he's a contractor, and if he was working, he was watching – he was listening to the game on his radio, and I was listening to my game, uh, listening to the game on my radio. You know, eight, nine, ten years old, early 90s, they sucked. But it was Garrison Hurst, and I was keeping stats um, on a legal pad um, that my mom had probably stolen from Georgia Power, uh, <laughs> just swiping, swiping office supplies for me. Um, and I just remember, like, you know, my mom would be like, hey, you all right in there? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. And I was just, just sitting there, like, it's close to my, it's close, I mean, like something out of the sand lot. Like, I mean, yeah. you know, it's just my Very much like that. Close to that radio, hat on, you know, listening to it. And I was a little different experience for me for the, for the 2001 Tennessee game. I was actually – uh, I believe my mom had the flu or something. She was sick and she'd been sleeping most of the day. Again, my dad was having to work on a Saturday and dude, I tore through our house and like slid onto our kitchen Island, like a penguin, um, just like <laughs> chest first. And my mom was like, what is wrong with you? And I was like, man, we just beat Tennessee. It's first time in like, you know, it was first time we beat Tennessee in Knoxville forever. And, you know, had to come back to do it. It was that day. It was that Damian Gary punt Damian return Gary. touchdown. Um, and Randy McMichael having a big game. Fred Gibson with those two giant catches he had in that game. So it's it's cool to hear different perspectives from that game and from Munson just in general because, um, you know, ready, the voices of whoever are, are, are never more relevant than they are now. Um, but yeah. I, I can't believe that would have been the case for, for Larry. I think that, that it would have been different for him. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No, it was it was wild, man, and that's uh, it's kind of something I've been thinking about a little bit. You know, this this off season is like Georgia fans have every reason to be grateful for where they are right now, but I don't know. I I don't know if this is going to be like a video thing I write or some sort of essay or or what, but like the value of those years that started with Green. I mean. Yeah, Rick had some some rocky times at the end of his career. Uh, but look, there's a young Kirby Smart on that 2005 staff, too, coaching the running backs and uh, with DJ Shockley sticking around. And, you know, those teams were good. And I, I really do think that even in those years, even though there was kind of a canyon in between them and Kirby Smart getting you to the promised land, like, something about those years were very important for Georgia, I think. And I... I don't know what they were. I'm, I'm going to need to talk to some people to figure out what it was. But I think Georgia kind of learned how to get back to being that dog again. And, and they were hungry and they were mean. And obviously that's the expectation now. 
But like when Georgia was great back then and they were coming on in the 2002 season and uh, they were getting challenged, you know, by Pat Dye not being man enough. And uh, there, there were some big moments there where I think Georgia had to figure some things out and you're still reaping the, the benefits of it 20 years later. And Matthew C. brings up maybe one of the most undervalued but iconic aspects of Larry Munson, and those were his 960 The Ref movie reviews. And if I was late for class and it was time for Larry Munson inside on sports, which was always a movie review, okay? <laughs> it was always him rattling off a bunch of names. You know, we, we, you know, we, we, we rounded up at the Beachwood Theater and it was – Amy and Mott and some guy friends and and we had a few other females and we saw a movie called Prime Evil. It was about a giant. It was about a giant alligator and he ran like Sea Biscuit. And and it was. I mean, he's not wrong. I saw the movie, uh, and and he's right. That 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 was the fastest giant alligator I've ever seen. I was just really puzzled as to why Larry Munson was spending his Sunday afternoon watching such a terrible movie, uh, but. Uh, I'll never forget his movie review of Rain Over Me uh, with Adam Sandler and oh, Don yeah. Cheadle. One, super sad, um, you know, movie with a ton of heart. Um, he said it was one of the best movies he'd ever seen in his entire life, and I agree with him. It, it influenced me. I think it makes me like the movie more, too. Um, I just want to like what Larry likes. I wish yeah. there was, like, a an archive, or I wish 960 would. I'm not their program director or anything, but it would crush if they found a way to – Put that stuff back on the air. Oh, on the there's internet. no question. Like, I'm, I, I might I mean, see I, if we can just buy it. <laughs> <laughs> buy the masters. We kill them. Yeah, no doubt. We'd kill I the mean, views. I mean, no, that would be incredible. That would, you know, that would be that would be absolutely amazing if we could buy those from nine six. There might be something because he's reviewing there. some really good movies. I'm sure. Yeah, and, and, and he's probably reviewing some terrible ones also. Yeah, that's true. I, dude, I, I, I'm better. telling you, I would pay mu- I would pay a hundred dollars right now just to hear that primeval um, <laughs> uh, review again. Like I just remember, I was sitting there and cl- I mean, I, I I I was late for class. I know I was at least once or twice. Um, <laughs> I'm just I'm, I'm trying to envision. Uh, What's your going, dark right now? It's going zero dark thirty over at Wes's house. He's about to get popped. I'm trying to envision him like, and here's a Jason Statham picture crank. (laughs) (laughs) That Amy Smart, she's something else. (laughs) Last saw her in road trip. God almighty. Dom Toretto, back with the fam. (laughs) (laughs) Apocalypto, Mel Gibson. Why is no one talking? You know that's out there, man. Wes, where did you go? Oh, dang! Did my your camera's not on? Yeah, can you hear me still? Yeah, you're about yeah, yeah, yeah you're, you're about to get assassinated. You. I'm afraid. I think, I think Larry just yeah. I got I got the Sopranos finale over here. Yeah, there you go. Oh, uh, you got me with the Dom Toretto one though. Vin Diesel is Dom Toretto. God, family means everything. A reminder we all need. Larry Munson inside on sports. <laughs> I think my camera died. Hold up. A reminder we all need. A we man from make- a man from Montana. Is that right? Is that where he was from? Who? Montana. Minnesota. 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 Yeah. But he but he called games out in Montana, didn't he? For University of Montana or or was I- it? University of Wyoming. Oh my God! God, what's that? what a setup you have, dude. That's it. I feel like monitor. you're flexing on us a little bit right now. I've never used this one before. We we got it. We have to. We 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 need to make Larry Munson reviews uh, recent movies a part of Mark After Dark. Like yeah. we, we we need to start doing that segment. You know? What yeah, I mean, it, it would be very very niche niche <laughs> reference for sure. What we're gonna have to do is uh, what we're gonna have to do is we're gonna have to get Jack Roos to go see a movie. And uh, uh, yeah, that's fair. That's you write him up. You write up the review, and I'll do the voice. Yeah, I, it's, <laughs> I have not been to a movie in a while. Well, Speaking during, of- during the football season, I wrote. I had a Friday column that was like, yeah, I love Munson's. That. You know, yeah, I did Munson's enjoy that. thoughts on the game. I can't remember what I called it, but it was like all the pessimistic things that he would say. You so know, now that I'm like mostly focusing on this I'll, I'll probably just turn that into a 
little sketch this fall. What Munson would have worried about. Yeah, what Munson yeah. would have worried about. Well, the funny thing, you know, we can tie this into something that happened recently, Wes. I mean, you guys were – you were out there. You interviewed Kirby um, at the uh, David Pollock Family Foundation golf tournament. And, um, you, know, you know, Kirby was real – really, really uh, um, heavy on the praise for Lauren Smith, who is 85 years old, by the way. Um, and Lauren traveled with him. Listen, man, Lauren has gotten wiped out at practice. Uh, just got smashed and broke whatever. He's up and at him, still, still getting his jeans ironed, still getting his creases in his jeans. Okay, um, and now he's 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 traveling around with Kirby writing this book. Um, and the only thing I can really ever think about with Lauren is, you know, fourth quarter George's trying to hold on to a six point lead. They're driving. They're driving. Lauren, what do you got? Well, we're down here on the sideline. We got Jim Jim Johnson from the 1987 <laughs> team. Um, he recalls the time he got in against New Mexico State for about six plays in the end of the game. Back to you, Larry. Oh, thanks, Lauren. Here we go. It's third and six. And, you know, uh, Munson really could be kind of dismissive in the moment. Uh, I remember Scott Howard, that Auburn call, at Auburn 2002 green to Johnson and he's like for man we've had some shots haven't we and it's like fourth and whatever from the 19 yeah and you hear Howard and he's like well they can they can pick up a first down without getting a touchdown and Larry's like ah too many yards to go for that we need a touchdown here yeah, it was fourth and nineteen from the twenty-five. Yeah, I do remember that call. Yes. But he was never like that with with Lauren. Lauren was, yeah, he'd pick up whoever he could get on the sideline, and it was such a like an intense moment. Yeah, it was not the thing that you wanted to hear at the time, because you're just like, man, I I don't I don't necessarily need to hear that information, Lauren. I saw Lauren. Uh, Saw him at one of the Masters a few years ago, and I was working at WMAZ, and part of the uh, DMA, the territory that we covered, was Riceville. Um, and I didn't know until I started <clears throat> working there that Lauren was from there. And I like, talked to him about Herschel a little bit and how I was covering some things in Riceville and stuff. And before we like parted ways – for me to go shoot whatever I needed to get or press conference or whatever. I was like, do you ever go back to Wrightsville at all? Just to, you know, say, say what's up or see what's going on. And he goes, no, I don't. And it's just like, <laughs> I guess you don't, you don't want to go back home, Lauren. I, I don't think I, Russ Tanner goes back either. So um, yeah, I don't think so. Wrightsville I mean, might be the place that folks just get out of get out of there. Frogtown. That's a, uh, yeah. Even Drops though Frogtown, I believe is, town, man. Frogtown, I believe, is technically Monticello, Georgia, but that's neither here nor there. Oh, so you're right. Yeah. There was a big article. Do you remember that article back in the day about Odell Thurman and how they called it Frogtown because, you know, they you had to get out. You couldn't stay there because everybody kind of got sucked into the small town trap. You hear it about every small town. I'm sure Jake yeah. heard it about Blue Ridge. I heard it about Pearson. And here I am, sucked back in. Back in, baby. <laughs> Going to town hall meetings. Come out. Going to town hall meetings and hearing brothers fight over property. Oh, no question. Fantastic stuff. <laughs> so, Wes, we brought you here uh, primarily, I think, to talk about, um, you know, your career and uh, it, it, which has been a winding road, right? I mean, you've you've had some stops under your belt already, man. You're a young man in the game, but you're a you're a seasoned vet. It it feels. Yeah, I mean, uh, I referenced, you know, keeping up with all those Georgia press clippings uh, from the Gwinnett Daily Post starting with that 2001 season. And it's not like I read those and it was like, I want to be a newspaper writer, but I think I just kind of understood, like, I want to do this. I want to work in this world, whatever it, whatever it is. And, you know, every morning when a lot of my classmates were – watching Saved by the Bell before school. You know, I was slurping down my Fruit Loops and watching Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann on SportsCenter and just learning every single stat about Allen Iverson and, and every everything that was going on in sports at the time. You know, Derek Jeter dominating everybody and um, 
Vlad Guerrero, I remember from that era, man. Just, a, yeah. just a, no batting gloves, dude. I it's funny the names that come back that. to you when you think about the sports center anchor of that era. And that that's really a, like a sports tradition that I hate that has been lost. Yeah. It was almost like a Saturday Night Live cast member. You know, yeah. like you you could define eras of sports by who the sports center hosts were at that time. But that's, uh, you know, I think – very early on, I was like, I want to do this. Um, it would be cool if I could work, you know, be on Sports Center one day and all this stuff. I go through high school and, you know, I, I really take a, a liking to writing. I love writing. My mom is a writing teacher and still is, even though she's like partially retired. So all these things from my upbringing, these sports, um, keeping up with Georgia appreciating writing and the radio and Munson and all that stuff. Uh, it was just a very good, I feel like melting pot for what I was going to do at Georgia. And when I got to Georgia, I took a liking to photography. So I started working for the red and black and I was their chief photographer, uh, was their photo editor for a semester. My first Georgia game I covered as a photographer. And this was before I was even in Grady. You know, there was some old camera equipment laying around in the newsroom. And they just kind of sent me off to Knoxville with David Hale and uh, Fletcher Page. And that was the first game I covered. We, we stayed in like – we stayed in the motel that I'm pretty sure um, Josh Brolin gets killed in in the country for old men. Save that. Save that. You got to save that. <laughs> That's part of the show. We got to talk about the hotel later. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember what it was called, dude, but – we were drinking some cheap liquor and put me to sleep, but it was in El Paso, Texas, I believe is where it was at or something like that. Yeah. We got lost on the way to Knoxville, but, uh, but that was the lane Georgia at Tennessee lane. Kiffin was coaching. Um, Eric Berry was Eric Berry that day, but I got an amazing photo of Eric hugging his mom and, you know, I kind of learned then too, and I had to because for a lot of the years I was in school, Georgia didn't give me a lot of photo worthy moments. Take pictures of the other team because there can be some good moments in there too. And years later, when uh, Barry had the non Hodgkin's lymphoma thing, like my mom and I really bonded over that photo because it was just kind of an emotional thing. Like, man, this is crazy that this is happening to this guy. And luckily he's, you know, on the on the road to recovery but what really brought it all home when i first got to atlanta and started working for 11 alive the first falcons game i covered uh was a chiefs game against the falcons and once again that eric berry had an amazing game and i think i think he returned to the field that week or something i'll have to go back and look up the specifics but it was kind of cool um that those those moments kind of went full circle for me. But let me go back to Georgia. Working for the Red and Black was an amazing experience. Learned a lot about working in a newsroom and just working in general, working with a lot of different departments. And um, it wasn't Sports Center. It wasn't putting me on the track to be, you know, an on-air person, but I didn't really care. Like, I was just trying to learn this industry in general. And uh, that's me. That was, that was when I was working in Macon uh, at 13 WMAZ. But long story short, I get through Georgia doing photography and some video for the Red and Black. My final semester there, I was there for four and a half years. My final semester after seeing, you know, that terrible Liberty Bowl, uh, traveling to Shreveport for the Independence Bowl, sleeping on a casino bench uh, because we didn't have a hotel room that was ready for us. Um, you know, there, there, there were some lean years there where I went on the road with the camera taking photos of Georgia football and, uh, you know, got to see AJ green play at Auburn, that Aaron Murray game when he got beaten up by Nick Fairley. I mean, a lot of memorable experiences that weren't great for Georgia. Uh, 2011, I just enjoyed as a fan, just as an undergrad took, took everything off. And I'm really glad I did that because me and my buddies got to see uh, some good years or some good games that season too. that like you lose to Boise state and then lose to LSU. But in between you run the table 
um, if I'm not mistaken, or was South it? Carolina. It was, was, it was, it was, yeah, they lost, they went 0 and 2 mm-hmm. and then lost the last two. But the, the games in between that were fun as hell. Um, then I, 2012, I started working for Georgia for Steve Colquitt as a photographer with them because one of my buddies was doing that. And we thought it would be fun to just like be knuckleheads and take some good photos. I, I'd gotten a little bit more serious about trying to actually be good at this and uh that was a a really special season too man um beating florida was an all-time moment for me still uh when i look back on the games i've covered that 2012 florida game was incredible man jarvis jones just won it for him that that missouri game too that was a really special road trip so all through college you know i was learning like photography but i wasn't really thinking like i want to go work for USA Today, or I want to go work for the LA Times or anything like that. I was just like, I'll figure it out. And literally that semester, our photography professor, uh, Mark Johnson, we had an assignment where we had to go shadow a photographer for the day. Well, I was looking up photographers around the state and I saw a guy named Grant Blankenship. And I was like, ha, this will be funny if I go work with a guy named Blankenship. So I did, and he worked in Macon. And that actually turned into me getting a job at 13 WMAZ that Palmer has on the screen there because he put in a good word for me at the TV station. And, um, you know, I had an internship at 11 Alive, which I ended up working at too that that summer before that. But yeah, I had no plans, was not trying. I was not in Grady News Source, wasn't trying to do any of the TV route and still ended up doing it anyway. So what did you wait? So what was your degree? Newspapers. I think I was one of the last people to actually get a sheepskin that has newspapers on it from <laughs> Grady. Because that after that, they just turned it uh, into journalism. Timely uh, uh, recipient of that uh, degree. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I'm, cu- I'm curious uh, because I've always wondered this. I feel like working at the, one of the, like a Macon TV station, uh, you've worked in Atlanta and you've worked in Macon. Like, I feel like Macon had to be a lot more fun personally. No doubt about it, man. Yeah. Uh, Macon, for our people that listen and watch that are from Macon, y'all know that 13 WMAZ is like the WSB TV of that area. Like everyone knows about 13 straight from the heart, all, all the stuff. And I got to learn from Frank Malloy, who's the sports director and the, the main news anchor down there. And he's a legend, man. And like everybody knows about Frank Malloy. If I tell him about, if I, if I meet anybody at like a party and like, you know, one of my friends house parties, like in Buckhead or around here in Watkinsville or anything, and anyone happens to be from Macon, they're like, Oh, you work with Frank Malloy and Ben Jones. I'm like, yeah, that it still resonates with people. Cause they're just like the legends of that community. But Frank taught me so much um, just about being a sports reporter, about being a sports anchor, uh, got to go to my first few handful of masters there because he, you know, viewed that as a like a treat. Like we work hard covering some really good high school football down there, um, but there's not a lot of glitz and glamour. No offense, I love the Mercer Bears, and I got to go cover them um, when they upset Duke. But there's not a lot of glitz and glamour to being a sports reporter and making as you're kind of earning your stripes. So we got to go to the masters. Um, so that was incredible. Yeah, it was, it was a lot more fun. You're right. Atlanta gets a little bit more, I don't know if it's like because it's a bigger market or because there's so many professional teams. I love covering the Braves and, um, the Falcons were fun for a little bit, but, (laughs) but yeah, I think you're in making, you're getting, you're getting your, uh, you know, you're learning how to do this thing and market 120 in the country. There's not a lot of distractions. Like my wife um, now, who was my girlfriend and fiance at the time, she was finishing up school at Georgia, and then she was working in Atlanta. So I wasn't like trying to date anybody. I was only working. Um, and it kind of, it was kind of refining. It was just like, you're spending really late nights learning how to edit video packages and redoing your voice because you hate how your voice sounds on the tv uh sports package at night and that that was just kind of some years that definitely shaped 
how I do what I do now, and I still don't have the stomach to go back and watch a lot of those tapes. Well, part of what you do now is Coffee Town, and I know that we want to talk about that. I think I, I remember I remember when the first one dropped. I really do. Uh, because I think I sent it to Jake. He or did. He's like, dude, you got to listen to this. Yeah, and like, I like the, the two of us were like sending it back and forth, and I was like, dude, this is this guy's nailing it. Like, I yeah. mean, I, obviously, I knew who you were. I got it from I got it from Jake Roos and Jason Butt, like within like three minutes of each other. Like, they <laughs> sent it to me. And, yeah, I remember uh, Jason. Jason was. I'm a t- and I've told Wes this before. If you if you ever if you're ever in the Athens area on a Friday night when Hab Central's playing, turn it to ninety nine three. Yep. And I swear to God, it is almost the exact same thing. Dude, I heard high school. So I was going to pick up my daughter from my parents the other day, and it's like 95-something, 95-3 or 95-9. I, I can't remember. But there there was a high school girls' soccer game on. And, like, that took me back to Macon because yeah. I didn't even know people still did that up here. I still think my favorite part of Coffee Town is Man Alive. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I am alive. I, I love that because I, that's something I actually say. Yeah, like, that's that's a part of like the vernacular where, where I'm from, and so yeah, you say. I mean, but I, I'm curious. Like, what was your inspiration? Like, what was it? Where was it born out of, man? I mean, yeah, I, I don't feel. I I got to think that the Collins Hill radio broadcast maybe were a little bit more uh, buttoned up than. Collins. I don't even know what they sounded like. Yeah, um, Wes was too busy balling. That's right, man. He was uh, the Travis Hunter of his era. Go back and watch the the spring game tape of two thousand and uh, two thousand and five. I had two two sacks and a forced fumble, fumble recovery, and then after that, I got too many concussions, and I don't really. I forgot what I was saying. But uh, <laughs> one day, one of these days, that joke's going to stop being funny. Um, no, it was born out of a couple things. It was born out of like desperation in my career, and I'll get to that in a second. But it was uh, working in Macon and working at 13 WMAZ. If you look at the map of Macon, it is as close to the geographical center of the state yeah. as you can get. So we're going to Washington County, we're going to Sandersville, we're going to Baldwin. We're going to Warner Robins, Kathleen, Georgia, Mary Persons High School. I mean, it's like you do the you do the compass that you see on like oh yeah, you had to do any true crime documentary. Yes, canvas an area. There was a an area that we covered, and any given Friday night, man, I was going to any of those schools I just mentioned, Perry. So, um. When, when you go and you're shooting highlights for a high school Friday night show, you don't get to stay for the whole thing, especially if you're at Mary Persons. You might go, uh, or if you're, if you're in Washington County, you go for the, the shot of the team running through the banner and you get those little tombstones that are over by the end zone. And you hope, <laughs> you hope that you have four or five good plays because by the time you fire it up, and you get a M&M's milkshake from Dairy Lane, you're going to have to go back home or go back to the station. So, like, when I shoot that and I'm going back to the station for the night to start editing and get those highlights ready to present them on the air, um, I, don't, I don't know what's going on in the game. And you, don't, you can't always count on the people that are supposed to send the scores in, call them in, uh, you can't always count on them to get the score in. So I would listen to the game that I was filming for as long as I could until the signal died, driving back to Macon. So you hear so many yeah. different voices, and you pick up so many of the nuances that you kind of piece together what the common threads are. And it's the hometown radio guy is going to be Homer as hell the whole time. And – that means he's going to get very excited about the three-yard pickup for the offense, and he is basically going to die on the microphone when the other team scores a touchdown. So there are just like those little things that were kind of floating around. Grew up loving Louis Grizzard and like 
never understood, still don't understand how he turned a newspaper career into like a stand-up comedy tour. I don't think you can even do that anymore because he was selling books and CDs and doing all those shows. And I was like, man, this guy kind of works in the same industry I did, but he's funny and he could do like this comedy career. And I was like, if I ever wanted to do anything like what Grizzard did, my one of my bits would have to be about the time I've spent listening to high school football radio because it's so funny. Yeah. But it's awesome because so many people love it and they need it and they depend on it. But what I'll tell you the one crew that like really influenced it the most or like pushed it over the edge was the Warner Robins radio crew because they've got a Warner Robins alum and they've got a Northside alum in the same radio booth. And for seven regular season games out of the year, they are best friends. But when Warner Robins and Northside play, (laughs) dude, you can feel the tension in the booth. And I was like, man, what if there was a radio guy that was so much of a homer that like he really hated everybody that wasn't the team? So it was like all these ideas were kind of like – they were they weren't like a solidified thing until my time at 11 alive came to an end i was done with local news and simultaneously they decided not to renew my contract about 6 months before i thought they were going to so this was the fall of 2019 and i was like man this was when y'all saw me too, because I I put the first one out before my last day at Eleven Alive, and I remember both of you, Jakes, said something to me about it at one of George's uh, press conferences that that week. Yeah. And um, I was like, man, I don't I don't really know what I'm gonna do next, but if there's a time for me to kind of tie this funny idea I've had together, now's the time to do it, I guess. And I had been playing around with TikTok at the time, just trying to figure out new forms of media. Because I'd been trying to do like a podcast at 11 Alive. And um, uh, Roos, you were working with Roddy. And yep. UGA Sports was 11 Alive's uh, like broadcast partner. Yep. And I'd been doing a podcast, somewhat of a podcast with Roddy. But I, I'd never really like produced my own thing. So I was like trying to figure out all these new things other than just local TV. And TikTok let me edit the videos on the fly. So like I could spit out like ad lib a one liner about a about a high school radio team, uh, Donnie Chugs and Ronnie Chugs and all this stuff. And if I didn't like it, I could delete it and try another one. So it was like all this like media influence, this this new technology that I was experimenting with and this just like opportunity to try something new. And that's where uh, that's where all of those thoughts and all that influence just kind of turned into Coffee Town. I was, I guess, I had just been to Athens, and I had a Jittery Joe's cup in my car. And yep, I remember the cup. Like, <laughs> yeah. Coffee Town based on Coffee County, Georgia. And I was like, no, it has yeah. nothing to do with Coffee County. I literally looked at that coffee cup and it was like, all right, this school's gonna be called Coffee Town. And uh, I had my iPhone headphones at the time yeah, holding them really close to your face yeah to your mouth. yeah and it made it sound like an old radio oh, mic. It, the the sound really was what got me like they, like your your verbiage everything was perfect but the sound of it was what was all also so important but yeah i had no idea it was gonna that, sound like that, that. Just, am radio just, yeah just a little bit rough just a little yeah. bit muffled but but also extremely clear I mean, dude, I'm, I'm telling you, man, I, when I first heard it, I was like, man, this is because I do like sometimes, um, you know, there are so many times like during the early in the football season, I'm like, hey, I'm going to switch 99.3 and watch, listen to the Braves because that's kind of my FM radio station. Yep. And they would be on there and I'd be so pissed, but I ended up listening to some of the games. Yeah. I remember a couple years ago. I think that's ago, their whole business model. Yeah. <laughs> a couple years ago, like his first play of the game, first game of the season, dude's like, you know, uh, they're playing um i think they're playing gainesville or somebody and he goes drops back to pass oh god he's behind us 
He's behind <laughs> us. He's throwing it. Don't catch it. Don't catch it. God, it's the first play of the season. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, it's just like it was just that. I, I yeah, like, it's the like talking to the players. Yeah. There's a lot of getting, Munson in that getting, too. Getting. Yeah, get him, block him, block him, go. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's awesome. I mean, we didn't have radio down in Pearson, George, but we did have somebody who liked to call. We did have somebody who called over the PA um, who would, you know, do it. And uh, his name was Ray Fussell. And Ray Fussell talked like this. And he would. Oh, uh, gosh. I can like hear him now. Radio, there it goes. Uh, they're running off tackle, and he's tackled by a pack of dogs. Um, and we weren't even the dogs. We were the rebels. So uh, um, I always thought that was pretty good. Tackled by a pack of dogs. We were that, actually the rebel. We were actually the rebels too. Yeah. Uh, uh, Tomahawk dog over here says, Roos familiar with those type of town names. Turtle Town, Duck Town, Hell's Holler. Those are all, those. yes, those are all within 10 minute drive of me right this second. I could be in any one of those uh, places. Turtle Town maybe take me fifth. My places were uh, Homerville, Millwood, um, Willacoochee. Alapahaw, Enigma, um, Douglas Broxton, you know. I got Mineral Bluff, Mineral Bluff's a good one. Uh Higdon. Yeah. Um uh gosh, there's there's some killer ones around here. The but Gwinnett Hell, County schools, man, they're just like the, the most suburban names are terrible. <laughs> All right, Tree Ridge. Like, what does that even mean? Yeah. <laughs> there's not a ridge. There's no ridge to be found there. Or so, peach yeah, trees. So uh I guess you know, to the last thing on Coffee Town, Wes, you, you've 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 turned it into a, a it's it's now its own living, breathing thing. I mean, it's the, the videos were there, but now there is Coffee Town, the the space. In yeah. There. Well, I, I mean, I I just got so much of a reaction from the people that were responding to it um, that a, a part of me just hates making stuff just for social media uh because i just feel like it's such a a vapor it just disappears and i i think that with the people that did weigh in and did respond to it and say man i can relate to that 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 was important to me that those times in my life those bonds i made with my teammates or my coaches or whoever um i just wanted to you know make a place for people to keep reading you know, the fictional stories and it's kind of a creative outlet for me. Um, but yeah, I started a website here within the past month, uh, gocoffeetown.com. And so like the, the videos that I've made, there's kind of a, a spinoff of those characters, um, that just kind of continues things and continues, you know, that goofy side of the team that people like, but I'm also, what's really been popular over the last couple of weeks is there's a place for people to submit their own high school stories. And, uh, I've just been kind of reading them in, um, just taking what they send me. And there are some crazy stories out there, man, that I couldn't have even made up. Like one that I got this past week, I made a video out of is a guy that played high school football in Louisiana the team dads and all of the like old washed up players, like the Tim Riggins of this guy's high school, they had a chant called crank that diesel. And I don't even know why, like their, <laughs> their mascot is the Trojans. There's no diesel anywhere near any kind of Trojan warrior ever in history, but they'd say crank that diesel. And halfway through the season, the team dads and all the drunk washed up players started to drive an actual diesel truck onto the field right near the opposing team sideline. And every time this home team would score, they ran, they ran the, the wing tee. He said they threw it one to two times a game. Every time they had a good gain on the ground, which I assume was every play, if I know people like this and I have a pretty good <laughs> idea of it, they would honk the diesel horn at the opposing sideline to like intimidate them. And the whole crowd would like pump their fists, like to get the the truck to honk its horn. So it's like stuff like that that's so goofy but endearing about high school sports. Um, that I just I don't know. It's just another way for me to tell some stories and uh, com uh, connect with people and 
have a community on the internet about something that, that people don't end up hating each other at the end of it. I hope. Like that, uh, like that cannon at an Appling County pirates game. Uh, if you've ever been to cover one of those and heard Appling County score about six times in a game, you don't ever get used to that cannon going off. No, that was true. That's true of the Fannin County Rebels as well, buddy. We just have watch your just watch your damn soul leave your body a Ooh. couple of times. Ooh. I mean, just, <laughs> <laughs> just, just, know you, just know you've been hit. Uh, Wes, we got a couple questions we always ask everybody. Yeah, let's let's like do it. Um, I wanted to hit you with mine, which is, all right, uh, they found Wes Blankenship face down, dead in a ravine somewhere near the Georgia Club. You're dead, but you're standing above your body. You're so Yeah, this is actually a very likely outcome for me. That's a very Jake Roos thing to say. Yeah, it's a very Jake Roos thing to say. As Roos, this is why this happened. A lot of my good one-liners come from things I've heard Roos say over the years that he's forgotten. Um <laughs> Uh, so, you know, you're standing over your body. You get to arrange your own funeral. Who's performing? Who's performing at the performing funeral? At, singing a song. You can have, I think it was, uh, what was it? Uh, B.A. did Don Rickles. Yes. Don, Don Rickles. Rickles like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we didn't really limit it to music. You can, if you can get somebody to do a eulogy, whatever you want, man. Yeah, I think I believe Brooks Austin said Jeff Sintel. Um, yeah, he so. wanted him to write the obituary. Uh, what it was. Okay. <laughs> Let's see. Vince Bruce Gill. Wanted, so I think it's Vince Gill, Allen. and it's because I heard Vince Gill do the the go rest high on that mountain in the oh, yeah. Ken Burns country documentary for George Jones. And he is weeping, singing the song at someone else's funeral. So I'd I'd probably have my family pay him a little bit extra to cry over me too just so it seems a little bit more profound you're gonna grease up vince gill for the tears yeah <laughs> that's uh give him a little extra incentive that right there is uh is a uh, disguised mike leach rest in peace that's yep. a great that's a great pick though dude uh, go rest high on that mountain it's a classic and to have vince gill perform it live you couldn't beat that yeah the, the, i've been waiting on somebody to come with that one because that's that's one of a kind for sure uh, also over here in the comments, Wes, you're going to need to go back and check that. Slim says, "My freshman year, yeah, I've, I've screenshot it already." Yeah, Slim, yeah, Thanks. you need to you need to dive further. You need to get in contact with Slim, however you Slim. Can. <laughs> Slim, go D uh, DM go me on Twitter, Slim. Or <laughs> hey, when I was coaching at when I was coaching at Cedar Shoals, we lost three of our probably top six best players the day before we played our first jamboree game, like preseason game. Uh, because they broke into our kicker's house and <laughs> stole everything they could get their hands on. Oh, boy. Yeah. A little inter-team uh, theft there, huh? Yeah, yeah. They spent the rest of the season in alternative school. One of them was arguably our best player. And uh, sadly, I think he probably could have went on and played some college ball. He had good grades. He was a good baseball player. Never made anything of himself after that. So Yeah, hate those right, stories. Guys. Uh, I, I think you might have touched on mine earlier, but uh, mine's always the worst hotel room you've ever stayed in was where? The worst hotel room I ever stayed in. <laughs> Got to actually be a hotel room. Can't be a casino bench. Yeah, no, that's that's a pretty bad one. But yeah, a hotel room. Uh, there was a year I went to, to Georgia, Florida and uh, got put in a... Uh, like uh what are the what are the hotels that are like apartments? Um like a red roof. Yeah. Like a microtel? Like a microtel. <laughs> oh and, yeah. And um it I think they filmed an episode of Unsolved Mysteries there. I'm not <laughs> I'm not sure. But there was there were some stains on the mattress that I didn't feel comfortable sleeping on. Uh yeah, it was rough. So I'd say Jacksonville, Florida. I don't even remember what the hotel was called. I'm not going to throw them under the bus on here, but use your imagination of a Jacksonville area hotel, and that's it. Oof. I stayed in a, I stayed in a Red Roof Inn in Jacksonville over in Atlantic Beach that was easily in the top five, no question. Very rough. Never, never had a bad hotel experience in Jacksonville. I think I talked – about the suite experience at the W that we had that one time where about 18 of us ended up sleeping in one suite at the uh, <laughs> W. Um, I had just I had uh, just ripped my quad tendon. So I, I was like, hey, I need a bed. Sorry. 
I'm on I'm on Percocets. Pulling rank. <laughs> I'm off I'm off on these perks, man. I can't do it. <laughs> you could have uh, slept anywhere. Painful injury, dude. Painful injury. You could have slept in the stairwell. <laughs> these things that are sweet tarts. I was in so much pain. I had to I had to wear a sleeve on my calf so that I can get uh so I can get blood clots. They had to put a sleeve on there that like compressed. Oh, you had like the all day. Yeah. Compression. I had you had like the Michael Jordan compression thing on yeah. your calf. Yeah, it was crazy. All right. Wes, this uh, has been a lot of fun, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, it's been great. Appreciate y'all <laughs> asking me to uh, attend and share some dog stories. It's been great. Well, we need to, we, we want to have you on again so we can do some more. We, we need to just do another show, um, you know, coming up and, and, and do one of those where we just do months and radio uh, reviews. I'm down, uh, man. Um, and we could, they don't even have to be true. I just want to hear Jake Roos do all of the, all of the Fast and Furious movies. My God, they're back at it again. <laughs> How big is this family? <laughs> I've never seen a four cylinder go so fast. <laughs> oh God, handles like a dream. Did y'all see the trailer for the new one? Uh, yes. Outrageous. One of the one of the best threads on Twitter going around right now is when did when did it jump the shark? Yeah. And uh, the, the replies to that have been incredible. The Tokyo Drift. I, the best one I saw was when somebody said he caught a car. <laughs> they were like, he caught a car and I damn near walked out of the theater. <laughs> said forget about it, cuz. Oh, God. Oh, All man. Right. Thanks for coming on, dude. Appreciate it, it. You got it.